something cool as a marketer to build a category, right? It's a thing we don't get to do that often. We started this year together with G2 yeah. to create that category. We also had to, you know, there had to be a few other companies as well because they had no incentive to create a category otherwise. So together with them and then a couple of other companies that are now our competitors, of course, in the space, there is a lot of new companies getting into the space, a lot of bigger companies also building mm-hmm. this kind of product, which is really helpful for us as well, because it's, it's almost impossible for us to build the category on our own. We need definitely yeah. need help. So you all got together with your competitors and lobbied G2 to create the new category and they said yes? I would say we lobbied you too, and then they had to find a couple of other. And now, we're, now, now to be honest, we're kind of driving it together, I would say. So it's, yeah. it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah. Well, if, yeah, if G2 says you're a category, then you're a category. I exactly. Argue with that. That's how we think of it as well. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest-growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Adam Holmgren. Adam is the head of demand gen for the fast-growing Series B company, Get Accept. He's also created Driving Demand, which is a community and podcast for European B2B marketers who are obsessed with revenue. Sometimes people call him the Chris Walker of Europe. Welcome to the show, Adam. Yeah, great to be here. Great to be here. Tell us a little more about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Adam. I'm from Sweden, originally still living here. It's actually quite a blossoming tech scene, tech scene here as well. So it's really, really fun to be in this space now. And I've been working in marketing, I would say B2B marketing for at least the last seven years or so. And now latest role here at GetAccept, obviously. All in all, really passionate about you know B2B marketing, but maybe more specifically demand yen in the you know, latest three, four years or so. Excellent. Well, I can see that your career progression has moved a lot of your experiences in lead gen and now you're in demand gen. And for the benefit of our audience, can you help us understand a little bit what are the differences between lead gen and demand gen? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very common to kind of start out there. It's kind of where the digital marketing scene, you know, starts out. And, and basically where marketing is kind of gold on driving leads, driving MQLs, you know, handing them off to sales mm-hmm. and hoping that something turns into, into revenue, right? And most mm-hmm. often, very few percentages or very few actual numbers turn into revenue. And that's the entire purpose of demand yen as a model it's more how can we optimize this you know our marketing activities our funnel towards revenue instead of just bringing in low quality leads basically it's a lot more in depth how we do that but that's the broad concept so going from more of a lead-based model to more of a revenue-based model if you say so is it fair to say that demand gen marketers are measured more along the lines of a pipeline generated that is something that is in the CRM as opposed to the pure raw number of MQLs and the cost per MQL, which is something that would more typically live in a lead scoring platform or marketing automation platform? 
Yeah, for sure. Do you agree with that or anything? Yeah, I think pipeline is probably, you know, the best KPI to have since it's very easy to align with sales, the sales work around, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's their bread and butter, really. And I think that's the key here also to not, you know, obsess over metrics that the rest of the organization doesn't care about. They care about pipeline and they care about the ARR. And that's why it's so it's so nice for us as marketeers to do the same. And then we can, I, I think it's still valuable to have other metrics to look at tendencies and to look at that we are moving in the right direction. I still think it's valuable to look at okay, how many hand raises or demo requests are we actually bringing in here and how many of those turns into book meetings and then pipeline, of course. But I still think it's valuable to have more metrics in the short term as well. Yeah. Tell us about what your funnel looks like right now at GetAccept. Are you are you all so you you have a demo request? I can see that's the primary call to action, and then yeah. you've got the attendance of that demo. I guess that's there's some drop off. And yeah. after the after the demo has been attended, what do the numbers look like there? What kind of typical probabilities do they have to get to opportunity close one? One of our main KPIs, of course, for the marketing team is to drive as many high intent. AMQLs, as we call it, as possible within our ICP. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's a probably around 70 to 90%, dependent on the market of those that turns into actual meetings. And okay. then, of course, the number of those that turns into pipeline uh, is more dependent on where they are in terms of budget, you know, everything like that. But we did this analysis in, I would say, beginning of last year. Sometimes mm-hmm. we, we have, apart from having demos, we, of course, also have a freemium where you can use our product for free, mm-hmm. you know, for however long you like. And we naturally have a much higher volume in the free segment. I think most companies do. Mm-hmm. And then we looked at, okay, in this kind of free segment, how much of those in percentages are moving from MQL to SQL to meeting to pipeline to ARR? We did the same for the demos, right? And mm-hmm. it was such a, you know, it opened our eyes quite a bit, like say that 70 to 90% of the demos move further on, but maybe, I don't know, 10% of the, of the freemiums goes further along in the funnel. It's a, it was a huge, it's, it's a huge drop off and it made, it made sense to kind of shift our activities to focus more on the high intent. On the high intent. So were you disappointed with the product led growth motion because of the low 10% conversion rate to paid? Yeah, I think I think I might have had like unreasonable uh, expectations as well. Oh, we're, we're going to go product led and it's going to be a massive growth. And, mm-hmm. you know, you look at all these companies that have been very successful with that, such as Dropbox and have very mm-hmm. solid product led motions. But then we launched our freemium and we didn't really see the numbers in the product-led sequence as we thought, uh, which was also a good learning, right? Because since then, we have moved a lot more back towards the high intent, I would say, and more mm-hmm. you know, climbing into upper segments and so on, which is hard to do with a product-led uh, motion. Yeah. Well, I suppose the cost to acquire those product-led growth leads was much lower as well, or was it not? I mean... Yeah, certainly. Much, much lower. Yeah. Um, but if you do the math, if you have ten percent conversion rate on on your freemium versus a well, let's just say it's eighty percent, yeah, and that's eight times higher. So if your product led growth leads are not eight times cheaper, they probably weren't eight times cheaper. No, exactly. And, and I think I we calculated math says you're better off going with this with a high touch sales led motion because the unit economics are better. Although you do yeah. have to still scale up the sales team. Is there any challenges in getting a sales team, growing a sales team that can keep pace with a really fast growth sales-led motion like that? 
Yeah, I think there are, but I think there's usually, you know, the same challenges in growing like a marketing team and growing a marketing engine, if you say. You can always hire more sales reps, right? But it's all about having the right combination of marketing people, salespeople, marketing money put in. And I think that's where a lot of companies, especially in these uncertain times, right? They hire one more rep because they carry a quota and then we will grow. They don't hire a marketeer because that's basically a cost, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why I moved to GetAccept in the first place, because marketing had a big impact here. We are around, I think, 25 people in the marketing team now, mm -hmm. which I would say is quite big for the size we are. I think we are approximately 200 people in total. So oh, 25 yeah, people of those are from marketing, right? Which is also telling in terms of how much we bet on marketing to be a successful growth driver. So GetAccept right. is an organization that where marketing gets respect, I would say so. I would say so, for sure. In all the organizations I have been, it's usually been, you know, sales have been top of the hierarchy. Uh, right, sure. yeah, they're, they're uh, the, the rainmakers. They're the guys bringing in exactly. the revenue. Exactly. And I think it's much, I think that's what, you know, we're not perfect, but that's where we are trying to go, where everyone feels, you know, the same responsibility for driving revenue. And I think that's also the important mm -hmm. bit for marketing. Yeah. And the product itself is for sales Sales leaders, let's talk about the product a little bit more because I bumped into this yep. concept for the first time, I have to admit, but it's called a digital sales room. Yeah. And did you all invent that term or, or not? Is that your... Uh, yeah. You know, we started this year together with G2, created that category. Yeah. To create that category, we also had to, you know, there had to be a few other companies as well because they had no incentive to create a category otherwise. So together with them and then a couple of other companies that are now our competitors, of course, in the space. But yeah, you know, it has basically existed before people have been talking about deal rooms, about sales rooms, about virtual sales rooms. But now the category is, is digital sales room, right? And, and basically, just to explain it briefly, the end user here is the account executive, the sales rep. And it's basically a way where we try to, you know, store all of your business dialogues. It doesn't matter if it's the first meeting or if it's the negotiation phase, everything should happen in this digital sales room. That's the vision. So it's all in all, it's trying to collect all of these different proposal software, CPQs, e-signature software to try and kind of fit that into one. So it have, which is really cool. It's also cool as a marketer to build a category, right? It's, it's, it's a thing we don't get to do that often. Yeah. Um, that's true. And it is a category that's booming quite a lot. There, there is a lot of new companies getting into the space, a lot of bigger companies also building mm -hmm. this kind of product, which is really helpful for us as well, because it, it's almost impossible for us to build a category on our own. We need definitely yeah. need help. So you all got together with your competitors and lobbied G2 to create the new category, and they said yes? I would say we lobbied you too, and then they had to found, find a couple of other. Oh, they're lucky, man! Uh, so they rode, they, they rode behind, they rode the coattails, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, and now but we're now, now. To be honest, we are kind of driving it together. I would say so. It's it's yeah. a win win for everyone. Yeah. Well, if yeah, if G two says you're a category, then you're a category. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Argue with that. That's how we think of it as well. Right. Right. I mean, nobody can really argue anymore with that. And where were you living? What category were, were you living in? The CRM category before digital sales room was in. Was no, we, we have been in uh, in almost every category. It feels like we started out probably in the more e-signature category. Then we headed into more of the sales engagement, sales enablement, 
yeah. we have been a bit in the proposal software, the CPQ now. <laughs> so it's, huh. it's a bit, yeah. These lines are everywhere. so blurry, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, the e-signature, e now now e-signature tools do so much more. Proposal yeah. software, almost every proposal software has e-signature. And then yeah. you've got sales engagement, which is a massive category now led by sales loft. And the line, it's really a interesting space because more so within this group of categories, I think more so than anywhere else do I see the lines being so blurry. And I think that opens up huge marketing opportunities because you can do so much with adjacency. Uh, when I think about paid search, I think of adjacent intent uh, where you can go after the pure play, e-signature tools, you can go after the, the proposal softwares. And I think that this space is, this group of categories is very ripe for a uh, ClickUp style bundling, let's call it. And it yeah, sounds exactly. like that's what you all are doing. Yeah, and I guess it's too, like, you can either take two routes. Either you niche down into one category very hard, or you mm -hmm. take, like, the broad route that we have taken and try to, you know, not be the best in a single category, maybe, but try to combine it to be, you know, you only need us. So, yeah, ClickUp is obviously a really great example of doing that. A great inspiration in all of their marketing, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. We had maybe a year ago or so, we had them on the, on the podcast and what a great story. And I do generally believe that we are in this phase of SaaS. I don't know if it's SaaS 3.0 or whatever it is, but, but the rebundling, because I think people's SaaS uh, stacks, tech stacks are now so big and so many tools, it's complex that now people need that simplification. And in the world of codeless tools, they're really taking over and eating, I think, eating up the really niche vertical players. And yeah. I think that's, that's going to continue even for a few more years. Yeah. And I would say for, for our system, it's like most of the software that we sell are, you know, integrated to their CRM and most of mm -hmm. them will be using us within their CRM. So in that sense, it's also a bit of an add-on towards their trying to tie everything together, right? Which I well, think yeah, is I was important. Gonna, to play devil's advocate, I, I, I would assume CRMs want to have the digital room as well, the digital sales room yeah. there. And that's a key sales channel, that integration. But are yeah. you also kind of friendly competitors there in a way? With some I would say we are, you know, that's the biggest partners that we have, the CRM systems. You know, Salesforce and HubSpot especially. We have an entire marketing team solely around the partnership with them. I would say it's a very win-win situation. They could for sure build their own, but I don't think they see that particular need really when there are other people out there, not only us, there are other companies as well, right? But it is a huge opportunity for us, I would say. If you are a company, we sell, I would say, arguably most to Architect, SMB, mid most of those companies, 90% have either Salesforce or HubSpot. You know, it would be super hurtful if we wouldn't integrate to them. Yeah. And I saw Pipedrive is in there too, right? Yeah, for From sure. Europe. Yeah. I guess it's fascinating how the two big guys, Salesforce and HubSpot, seem to me to have really separated from everybody else in the past. Yeah. I'd put Pipedrive at a, maybe at a distant third, but still there's a gap, I mean, pretty big gap between your HubSpot, Salesforce, and then everybody else. How many of your current customers came to you uh, direct versus coming through an integration type of account? Um, most of our competitors doesn't come directly from the integration side, even if a few does it, but then eventually they would probably buy an integration thing anyway, because they have either. Or, yeah. But I would say most of our customers, if you say, come from our marketing campaigns more or less. But I wouldn't mm -hmm. say it's, I'm a big skeptic on attribution in general. So it's mm -hmm. like, uh, so everything that we do is not necessarily attributed correctly into our inbound and to, into our customers, 
but it all have networks effect, right? I think something somewhere around 30 to maybe 40% of our inbound are direct, right? They are coming directly to our site. They are signing up for a demo. It's impossible to track where they initially found us. We can do certain self-reported attribution and so on, but it's not really bulletproof. But we also just have to trust in that we are doing the right marketing. Well, why don't don't you just uh, attribute all that to your podcast? Exactly. That would would be the ideal, right? Yeah, that's what I try to do. (laughs) No, (laughs) kidding. Yeah, attribution is always going to be a blind spot. And and I think folks like us who who have seen the power of, of LinkedIn especially, yeah. Being active there, posting, uh, generating content and getting DMs and getting referrals and all that uh, dark social, if you want to call it. I imagine that a big chunk of our direct traffic is coming from this dark social. So yeah, attribution is still very far from, from being solved. And I think it's good in a way because it does still force marketers to do classic marketing, which is try yeah. to be everywhere with a consistent message and not necessarily try to figure out the ROI from every specific channel so that you know exactly how much of your budget to put where. That exact science doesn't exist. And I don't think it ever really will. With one exception being bottom of the funnel paid search. You know, I think most of that, you get a pretty clear picture of, of ROI. Let's dig a little bit deeper into some of the hard brass tactics that you're doing, because I'm sure that you're overseeing a lot of stuff right now. You're, so it looks like you're, you have a preference to flow people into the sales-led demo motion at Get Accept. Yeah. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Tell me, what are some of the things that are working best for you all, either with paid or organic? Yeah, I would, as I said before, like a lot of what's flowing in to us are either direct or referral. So it's really hard to like mm-hmm. attribute directly, but I, I think we have a quite of a good understanding of what drives our results. If we mm-hmm. take what we spend, I would say the majority of our spend are split up between, you know, Google ads, of course, and LinkedIn. That's our mm-hmm. two for sure biggest drivers right now. And I would say Google Ads is for sure a bit more of a bottom funnel play for us. We're trying to be visible on certain high intent keywords that we believe are more high intent. And it's usually, you know, as I said before, we are or we have been in so many categories. So it's really hard to kind of digest where we should be. So we, we call it wedges. What are our wedges in on this market? So we, we have so many and then we're kind of experimenting it uh, with it by market, trying to find what is the wedge that brings yeah. us the most results in this market. Well, this um, is a paid search marketer's playground because yeah. I just did a quick uh, a keyword check here. And do you know how many people are searching for a digital sales room per month? Very in few. The US? Uh, 40. Yeah. So yeah. clearly, you know, you, you all own that term, but you still have a long way to go with that term. So it's all about adjacency. So where are you? You're reaching your tentacles into all of the other adjacent categories. So how do you manage that? Because that's fascinating to me. 
And yeah. I'm going to also bet you're bidding on competitors' brand names, and and that's I'm sure that's high converting. But yeah. how do you make that decision? Do we go after? Do we go hard after e-signature? Do we go hard after proposal software? Do we go after a digital asset management yeah. kind of keywords? No, that exactly what you're saying is kind of the discussions we've been having. Like, where do we capture the existing demand? Yeah, it's going to be in Google Ads. Uh, and where do we then create demand for this new category? Yeah, that's what we're going to do in LinkedIn, LinkedIn. especially. So that's kind of our differentiation, what we're trying to do in the different channels. And then in terms of if we look into paid search first, it's very different per market, I would say. Like, you know, some of our most important markets are the US, we have UK in Europe, we have France, we have Nordics. And it's super different how far they are, are in terms of digitalization. Take, uh, take the US market as an example. We, we have no intention of being around the e-signature topic because it's very... It's almost ball game there. Everyone, you know, already have some sort of solution. If they are searching for e-signature, they're they're usually wanting something for free because it's so uh, it's so easy to get your hands on in that market right now. But if we're looking in the French market, on the other hand, it's very they are a bit further behind, I would say, than the U.S. market. So it's still very much uh, a good ARR driver for us, uh, uh-huh. the e-sign wedge, if you say. That's yeah. interesting. So actually, when you think about geographies, that adds a whole new dimension to this notion of adjacent intent, because you could say U.S. is, is saturated or extremely mature, and um, there's no more really opportunity for e-signature or France is behind. But then you, you look at the proposal software and then maybe some countries, the whole situation yeah. could be different. How do you, I guess that the only way that you learn that is through running campaigns and testing it. Am I right? Yeah, and that's the beauty of Google Ads, right? It, it's quite an easy thing to do and really see, you know, we have been doing that for the last year or so, at least, mm-hmm. um, just to figure out what kind of works and what doesn't. And it's not like we have everything figured out yet, but we have been able to, like, cut down the wedges a bit and trying mm-hmm. it, you know, which is a good way because then we can focus the spend on what's obviously driving error. Then hopefully down the line, we will have maybe one wedge per market op- optimally. But we also see in markets like the US, things that are working are more in relation to the CRM as an integration, APIs and things like that. And then in Europe, it's probably a bit more back to basics um, mm-hmm. in terms of the categories. Yeah, yeah, they're more prone to go go right for, straight to a standalone solution and not look for the integrated approach. Um, when yeah. you say the wedge, are you, you're talking about that's your best foot in the door for each market? Yeah, yeah for sure. Which, which killer then, feature or feature set you want to lead with? Yeah, exactly. And then obviously, when we end up being in a sales process, we want to sell the entire vision that we're trying to create with the digital sales room, right? And that's still happening, but we need to get our foot through the door in this existing demand still. And that's the tricky part in Google Ads, at least. And then if we take like LinkedIn ad quickly, where we're kind of trying to build this demand, this new category, it's also a bit tricky because we can't really explain our new category without explaining these kind of wedges that also exist within. So it is a bit tricky to get it right and to get people to understand what this really is. Usually it's like if someone is looking for an e-signature software, they maybe they don't have one or maybe they have a they have a company, it's not working great for them. Mm. Probably they have no idea what a digital sales room is or that they would even need one. So we need to clearly explain where it fits in. And that we are still learning for sure. Yeah. I have a hard time imagining why someone could be that dissatisfied with their e-signature tool today. Yeah, true. I mean, true. they all work. They do one simple thing and they all work. So yeah, unless it's really broken, I mean, 
but in other other aspect other areas it's it's quite different in my mind i don't think i think the places where people learn those things are more today social or communities or i don't think a lot mm -hmm. of sales leaders are googling how they can increase the productivity of their sales team i think they're ask their peers so I, I think we are definitely trying to answer those questions, but in a different environment and, and not as much in paid search. Okay. But yeah. Got it. And then over on LinkedIn, where this is really where the demand generation is happening, because you could, you could say paid search is demand fulfillment. So mm. LinkedIn, demand gen, creating a new category, you can't measure success at all the same way that you'd measure paid search, because paid search, you really probably can measure pipeline generation. Yeah. How do you determine if LinkedIn is working and, and whether or not you should double down on it and put more budget behind it? Yeah, that's always the tricky part, right? I think yeah. we can measure some things though. You know, we can always measure, you know, are we seeing the engagement go up? And like in the broader terms, have we been doing Google ads and LinkedIn ads for a long time? Have we mm -hmm. been doubling the spend in LinkedIn ads and kind of keeping the Google ads flat and we are still growing, then something must be, be going right. Yeah. So I think it's more looking at the broader picture in terms of revenue numbers when it comes to mm -hmm. LinkedIn, or that's at least what we are trying to do. But then we are more evaluating each campaign naturally more on the engagement metrics. Okay, so how much engagement was this actually driving? It must be doing something right towards our audience, which I think is really powerful. Well, yeah, certainly that kind of analysis is, is going to help you isolate and put the budget into the best performing campaigns. I'm yeah. interested in relatively, where, where do you spend more, Google ads or LinkedIn today? Um, Google ads for sure. But yeah. I would say it's getting closer and closer to where we spend more. I think it's also natural now when we, you know, the market is how it is right now. We have to prioritize where we put our efforts. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we saw it as a huge opportunity when we started seeing other companies pulling out of LinkedIn, you know, seeing mm -hmm. LinkedIn as it's a, it's an expensive channel, but it's also a channel you can't really find that anywhere else. It's a super yeah. quality channel. And I think that's what we have been trying to take advantage of now. The cost for advertising on LinkedIn has been going down the last few months. And our objective have always been to try and increase through that, which is what we've been doing for sure. So you've got demand generation and LinkedIn has this really cool format or campaign type, I guess, or conversion type for lead ads. And I'd consider mm. those to be a little more, I don't know, mid-ish mid or bottom funnel. Any success with lead ads and shortcutting demo bookings with LinkedIn lead ads? No, I, I would say I'm very against running those types of ads. Usually I'm more of, you know, trying to get people to come to us and not force them down a funnel, because I think that's where we will have a higher percentage actually getting to the bottom of funnel instead of forcing them in. Yeah. I have seen a lot of those kind of lead form ads, conversion ads, where people kind of incentivize you to book a demo, you get a hundred dollar gift card or whatever. I think that's a tricky route to take. Because yeah. I think it kind of removes the high intent from the equation, right? And makes the demo booking just a regular sign-up maybe, um, mm -hmm. which is tricky. So what we are trying to do in our LinkedIn ads, and this will be very tactical, of course, we have two layers. We call one the cold layer, which is people that probably have never heard about us. I don't really see it as top funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel. I just try to have as much information there as possible so we could engage with anyone because we never know in what stage any a cold audience is in. So we will just route all of this content, distribute it to everyone, and eventually someone will engage, right? And when they do, they will end up in our retargeting funnel. And in our retargeting funnel, mm -hmm. we will have a lot of different campaigns based on where we want them to go, of course. 
But I would say very few of them are forcing you to book a demo. It's more if we have a case study, yeah, naturally we want them to go in and read the case. But if we have, a, I don't know, another ad about a specific blog article or a specific pain point we want to talk about, it's more about seeing that they actually engage within feed. And I think that's also yeah. important because there are so few of those people that actually will enter our site right now. But the good thing about LinkedIn that you can actually measure is that you, of course, should have your conversion tracking set up. Your Most LinkedIn campaigns won't drive direct conversions. They won't drive direct demo bookings, but they will influence it. So what we see is that we have a lot of view conversions for demo bookings. So people that have viewed our ads and then eventually done a demo booking, but they mm -hmm. didn't, it wasn't attributed directly. They probably ended up going in direct or going in organic search, paid search, whatever. Yeah. But we can still see what campaigns drove that initial spark. And I think that's yeah. also a key thing. I know that Facebook, I, I believe, takes too much credit for these view-through conversions, but how does LinkedIn report on a view-through conversion? Do they say it's a conversion or a partial? Yeah, exactly. It's up to you how you want to set the conversion tracking up. You can set the view conversion window to only one day. So if they view the, the ad and then they end up in your site within that day and convert, you will get it. You can also set it to 90 days. It's all about what you want to get out of it, I guess. Yeah. The, the only thing I want to get out of it is basically to know what campaigns seems to have been in this customer journey. I think that's the, and then it doesn't matter that much what kind of drove the conversion, because usually that's direct or maybe organic search and that will happen anyways. Yeah. How long does the, well, before I ask that question, I'm, I'm looking at the pricing and you all have quite simple pricing. There's a premium, yeah. $15, $15 a month, $49 a month in enterprise. Yeah. So to me, that tells me that there probably isn't a very, very long sales cycle here. What is no. the typical sales cycle? From, from I would say one to, one to two months, maybe on average. Okay. So it's a, it's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was even surprised at the pricing. I mean, it seems very affordable given all the great features. We think and, so too. Yeah. But I also wanted to talk about organic and in particular community, because this is an area I think that also that you're passionate about. There's a lot of buzz mm -hmm. around community building and what, what it actually means. But yeah. I think it's powerful. I think that the best, in particular with SaaS marketing now with all the noise, the ability to First of all, the ability to almost be a media company, to create a lot of great, unique content, and then also to build a community. These are the keys to success, long-term yeah. and success. Tell me a bit about how, how you think about community at GetAccept. Yeah, I think it's not always about creating a community either. It's all about, you know, also participating in relevant communities to your audience. Uh, but I think it's super powerful. Uh, which is also one of the reasons I decided to create my own community for demand markets in Europe, right? Because I didn't find that that existed. There are so much based around the U.S. Everything is started from the U.S. Everything is very U.S. centric. So it's pretty apparent that we need things in, in Europe as well to facilitate. If I look into Get Accept and how we handle community, we don't have our own community. We have more been leveraging the play. How can we be active and engage in communities that are relevant to our audience? Um, take Pavilion, take Rev Genius, those types of you know, bigger companies. How can we be a force to be reckoned with in those communities? Not to promote our products, but to engage. And when someone actually has the issues that we talk about, hopefully they will reach out to us because they know us personally. I think that's so. It's the same thing we're seeing on LinkedIn, right? Mm -hmm. I've been growing my network a lot during the past year. 
and seeing so many good effects from that. Not necessarily, I rarely promote products from GetAccept, but people still reach out to me because they have you know, read something I said about marketing and then they went to my profile and looked at what company I worked for and eventually they saw that we did something cool and they checked it out. So I think it's much more you know, a long-term play. I, and I think community is, is hard because everyone wants to build a community of engaged people right now. So it's going to be all about, again, trying to, you know, what is your niche? I think that's the most important part. I think we're going to see a lot more small communities that are very, very niche. It could even be like, you know, a market-specific one. It could be a Swedish community for only sales leaders. That could be a, a vibrant community. Because I think there are these huge communities globally, like Pavilion, Revgenius, those are great, but I think sometimes people want a bit more personality and you would never get that in those huge community. I think you need to niche down a bit. Yeah. Do you think about using events, either live, in-person or virtual or hybrid events as a way to build community? Yeah, for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say events have been a huge tactic of us because it's like, it's, it's also a good way to become personal, right? And to create that human aspect in the, in the customer journey. Uh, the tricky part about events, I feel like, is to have a booth at a big event is is extremely costly. It's really hard to count in the ROI from that. <laughs> it's like you have to truly believe that it builds your brand or it builds your audience or whatever, builds your community, as you say. But I'm more, I would say, we are more leaning, you know, in the coming year at least, towards maybe more participating in niche events that are very... Mm -hmm. It could be a Salesforce integration event, just super relevant for us, super relevant for our audience, but it's not the disaster where we have to pay X amount to even be attending, right? So I think it's all about finding the niche there as well. But I think there's a lot of talk around events dying during the pandemic and so on, but as this, I think they are very much back in force. And I think we have seen that in the last couple of months. Yeah, I think they're staging a comeback and... Um... To me, it's the hybrid event is fascinating where you've got, you've yeah. got a live audience and then you have a lot of people attending online and you can mingle them in, in interesting ways. Well, this, this has been great, Adam, um, picking your brain here. I think you've got such a unique combination of a high-level strategic view, but also a detailed on-the-ground view about what's working at the tactical level. And this has been a great discussion. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you or anything else? that you can share that you think would benefit our audience? <laughs> yeah, that's always a tricky one. But yeah, as always, I think if people, you know, can learn more about demand, yeah, and I, and that's always great. I think all mm -hmm. companies would win to think a bit more about, as you said before, doing great marketing instead of bringing in leads. I still think mm -hmm. that's a good thing for most companies out there, to be honest. Great. Well, Adam, thanks again for being with me. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. And yeah. good luck in the future with GetAccept. Good luck building that category, the digital sales room and the brand. And it looks like you all are on a, on a great trajectory. We've got to get, the, the SaaS has got to get through a little, some tough times, but I think the good times are still out ahead of us. Yeah, thank you so much. We are, we are definitely hoping for the best. Yeah, same here. All right, Adam, take care. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.